Welcome, friends. This is the How That Works podcast. My name is Xavier, and this is the time of day where I discuss all the wonders and curiosities that our world has to offer. Before I bless your ears with powerful and transforming knowledge, I thought I should remind you that this is not your traditional podcast. We are here to discuss all things tech, science, nature, history, and travel. And just like a discussion, you are more than welcome to leave your comments, thoughts, and further curiosities on my social places. More on that when we do housekeeping. And now it is the time to grab your favorite cup of tea, relax on the couch, or enjoy your run, because we're about to get curious. Another brilliant week to ask the question, how that works. For today's episode, I want us to get high, not that high, I want us to get low and all over the show. This is making brilliant sense so far, wouldn't you say? So almost most of all people have experienced and have seen gravity, I would hope. But I feel there's a gap in the reasoning as to why it works the way that it does. So in today's episode, I'm going to discuss the reality of gravity, (laughs) haha that rhymed, why the moon works the way that it does, and whether or not you're upright at the South Pole. Alrighty then, to understand the oddities and quirks that come with gravity, we first need a definition for that. Gravity defined is simply the universal force of attraction acting between all matter. That's as simple as it gets. Complicated more by looking at Einstein's theory of general relativity. As basically as I can explain, general relativity is the idea that both space and time aren't separate. Time is a physical dimension, and gravity is caused by the curvature in space-time. Together, they form a single geometry called space-time. Picture it like this. When you play Jenga, you stack the blocks on top of each other to form a tower. That's kind of the idea that Einstein had about it, except a little bit more curved. Now, we haven't yet been able to prove it, as it's still called the theory of general relativity, but it's good to keep in mind for now. Later on in life, Einstein said that his happiest thought came to him when he imagined a man falling from a roof. No, he wasn't crazy, although that is debatable, but here's his reasoning. He reasoned that the man that was falling would in fact experience weightlessness. Any object that he let go of would be stationary relative to him or move at constant velocity. This is similar to what happens when in outer space. You are completely weightless, and everything would be stationary relative to you, or if you gave an object a push, it would move with a constant acceleration. Thus, Einstein came to the conclusion that gravity is not a real force. Think of it like this for me. As it stands, the Earth is curved. I'm not going to go into the argument of the Earth being flat and if it is actually a curved ball. For the reasons of this talk, we'll assume it's round. So if you and a friend were to stand 1,000 kilometers apart on separate lines of longitude and walk due north, eventually you would come closer and closer together and you would both end up at the North Pole. It's as though there was a force pushing you together, but you didn't feel it and neither did your friend. So what's going on here? Gravity is just like this force. It doesn't actually exist. 
The reason you came together is that you were both walking in a straight line on a curved surface. Take that, Flat Earth Society. So now if we assume that gravity isn't a force, why are the people at the South Pole not upside down? The most basic explanation I could find was this. When you look at a globe, it may seem as if north is up and south is down. But no matter where you might go on Earth's surface, down is actually toward the center of the planet. So whether you're in Antarctica, at the equator, or anywhere else, if you're upright with your feet on the ground, you will feel right side up. Continuing this trend of upside down or right side upness, I wanted to take a moment to talk about how up and down is perceived and why it doesn't exist in outer space. So to an extent, there is actually an up or down in space. Down would simply be the direction that gravity is pulling you and up would be the opposite of that. Gravity is a centrally attractive force, so going down means falling or being pulled towards the center of the heaviest and closest object. But we just said that gravity doesn't exist. This, this is just fantastic. For a force that in quotes doesn't exist on Earth is now being used to determine the orientation of a person in space. So how do astronauts get it right to be upside down and right side up? I'm wondering the same thing as you. Let's get into it. So if we observe an astronaut on the International Space Station, they seem to be floating around with no real sense of up or down. This isn't actually due to the lack of gravity, but rather like Einstein suggested, they are actually in a state of free fall. When we enter a state of free fall, our senses cannot detect an up or down. There is still a down, you're just not experiencing it. The same would be true if you were to jump into an elevator shaft and you closed your eyes. You wouldn't be able to experience gravity for those few seconds. Of course, gravity becomes very much real when you go splat on the floor. So please do not try this at home. So now, what would happen if you went far enough away from Earth that you were not attracted to it anymore? A curious question indeed. You would simply be attracted to whichever body has the greatest gravitational pull. Near the moon, you say? You'll be attracted towards the moon. Close to Saturn? You'll be attracted to Saturn. And so on and so forth with every object that you're closest to. So this next idea I want to talk to you about is how the astronauts get sick of this concept in a sense, both literally and figuratively. Some astronauts have reported spatial and disorientation problems where they found it hard to distinguish what is up and what is down. Scientists have called this visual reorientation illusions, or VRIs for short. And this is where the walls of the spacecraft, the ceilings and the floors can suddenly become subjective identities. An extreme example of this was reported when an astronaut said one morning that he felt like the room was rotating when he woke up. So now here's where the biology gets involved in helping us orientate. On Earth, we know which way is up because of our body's vestibular system that keeps our brains informed. Part of the vestibular system in our ears include three small fluid-filled loops called semicircular canals that sit just above the cochlea. The first loop detects our up and down movement, the second detects our side to side, and the last one detects our tilting. These are the three axes on which our body's spatial awareness operates. This fluid in the canal shifts when a person moves their head. These canals also contain hundreds of thousands of little hairs that bend as the fluid flows past them. The bending of these hairs now relay information to our brains about the type of movement that we're experiencing. I can actually give you an example to explain how these canals work. 
If you imagine for a second back when you were younger and how you used to spin around in circles to see who could get the dizziest. When you spun and you eventually stopped, it still felt like you were spinning when you stopped. You perceived this as dizziness. What's actually happening in your ears is that the fluid is still moving in your ears and pushing against the hairs. The hairs are still sending messages to your brain and your brain assumes that you are still spinning. Thus, we have dizziness. Another interesting fact on the ear is that we have a vestibule that joins the semicircular canals to the cochlea. It actually contains two sacs, one being the utricle and the other being the saccule. These two are responsible for sending your brain information about how your head is moving in relation to gravity and acceleration. The saccule, I think, is the more important of the two as it helps to tell whether you're traveling up or down, like in an elevator, and is also responsible for determining if you're lying down or standing straight up. So now it would make sense to assume that in space, while you don't have gravity pulling you down, these vestibules and saccules and utricles can't actually function the way they were supposed to because they were made to function while relying on gravity. So if there's no gravity up there, your brain can't actually perceive what's up, what's down, what's sideways and what's inside out, in a sense. So it would seem that your ears actually play a, a quite a crucial role in determining the gravity of your situation and where you are. And that is now enough about gravity and all its attractiveness. <laughs> Get it? Because gravity is an attractive force. Uh, anyhow, for this next bit, I wanted to talk about the moon and how it plays a very crucial role in our daily lives, such as the tides and the seasons that we experience. As basic as can be, let's start with the tides and how the moon affects the currents and the tides of our oceans. Because of where the moon is situated and how it rotates around the earth, it generates tides and tidal forces for us. So what is happening here is that the moon is attracted to the earth by our good friend gravity. This attraction is what we call, can call tidal force. This tidal force that we have is what causes the water at our coasts to bulge out on the side closest and farthest from the moon. We call these high tides. As the earth rotates, the region you're in will pass through both a high and low tide in one day. Hang on a second. Go back a few seconds where I said there is a tidal bulge at the side closest to the moon and the side farthest from the moon. That can't be right, can it? Let me explain how that works. So when the moon pulls the closest side to it, the tidal force that is experienced by the water is actually a differential force, meaning that it comes from the differences in gravity over Earth's surface. We can go even more in depth to get a better understanding of this. On the side of the Earth that is farthest from the moon, the gravitational pull is at its weakest. At the center of the Earth, it is approximately the average of the moon's gravitational pull on the entire planet. To get the tidal force, you would need to subtract the average gravitational pull on the Earth from the gravitational pull at each point on the Earth. The result of the tidal force is a stretching and squashing of the Earth. This is what gives us two tidal bulges. So now these tides explain why on one day you can have two high tides and two low tides. So this is all good and well for our friend the surfer, but how do the tides actually help us? They actually help us in more ways than we care to think or imagine. Navigating a ship through a shallow water port, an intercoastal waterway, or even an estuary requires a knowledge of the time and height of the tides, and even extends into knowing the speed and direction of these tidal currents. Marinas need this accurate data because navigating these channels with marine traffic leaves very little room for error. 
engineers need tidal data in order to monitor the tide levels for harbour engineering projects such as constructing bridges and docks. And to round it all off, tide data is fundamentally crucial to the livelihood of fishing. Fishermen use their knowledge of the tides and tidal currents to maximise and capitalise on the fish they catch when going out to sea. Depending on the species and water depth in an area, fish may concentrate during ebb or flood tidal currents. The earth we all stand on now is tilted on its axis at 23.5 degrees from the ecliptic. This angle is mainly responsible for the seasons, however that angle is not fixed. The moon's gravitational pull on the earth causes precession. This is a small 21,000 year cyclic change in the angle of the earth's tilt. 21,000 years is quite a bit of time, so none of us would really notice this in our lifetime. Still, it plays a part in the way the world works. Without the moon's pull, this precession would be even slower and the precessions would be larger. A larger precession means there is a greater chance in the tilt of the Earth's axis. This will inevitably mean that seasons would take much longer. Not to worry though, as these changes would take billions of years to actually take effect. And these changes won't affect you at all. So now moving on to the seasons and how the moon affects them, it actually gets a little weird and interesting. So twice a year we have what's called an equinox, and this marks the day where light and dark are in equal proportion to each other. The moon and the sun are both attracted to the equatorial bulge of the earth. They're trying to bring it into alignment with themselves, which causes the earth's axis to rotate, and therefore the timing of the seasons is created. The spring equinox marks the first day of spring, and the autumn equinox marks the first day of autumn. Going back to the middle of it, the moon is constantly pulling at the equatorial plane, trying to bring the equator in line with itself. As we all know, our equator divides our Earth into the northern and southern hemispheres. While the northern hemisphere will experience summer, the southern hemisphere will experience winter, and so vice versa for opposite seasons. So then the gravitational pull of the moon affects which part of the world will experience which seasons. So now can you imagine how chaotic it would be if there was no moon to regulate everything? And that, friends, is the end of this discussion. I do hope you learned something today and that maybe you can bring this up in your discussions wherever they might take you. I hope I have left your curiosity satisfied today. Now it is the time to do housekeeping. Let's level and have a bit of a moment. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode and thank you for allowing me to bless your ears with new knowledge. If you did enjoy the show, please do hit that follow, like, or subscribe button wherever it is that you're listening to the show. It does help us grow and reach a bigger curious crowd out there. Another way for the show to grow is for you to follow me on all the social places. Find me on Instagram over on how underscore that underscore works. If you found the podcast through the link tree, then you'll see that I have a new link where you can donate to the podcast. Proceeds from your donations would go to investments in the podcast, such as the hosting platform I'm using, recording equipment, and even my production costs. So please do consider leaving me a little something. You have been a fantastic listener today. So here's to celebrating you and your rotation on Earth. This has been our time together. So until next week's episode, stay always curious. Curious.